Okay, we got you, kid. Ready? Hi, I'm Abby Hoffman. On the run, just listening to WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yes, indeedy, Ann Arbor, Michigan, which has uh, cleared out from the academic school year. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And obviously, uh, we'll just briefly comment about the wings. Hopefully they can pull it together. Uh, well, down but not out. It's down a- but not out. It's not like these games they are getting blown out. They just uh, have to stay off that power play and figure out how to win some face-offs, I think. Yeah, uh, face-offs you know, are, are a big problem. Get back the on the attack with the offense. It's uh, kind of tough when you uh, 10 penalties in a, in a playoff game. That sounds very strange to me. I missed last night's game on the tube because my television is on the fritz, as they say. Uh, very untimely in that department, but uh, well, I'm sure I'll go to a local pub tomorrow night and catch the action. Well, uh, game three will be a big one, for sure. Yes, indeedy. And, of course, uh, how's that drill, baby, drill slogan working for you? Well, fortunately, it can be easily remedied with just a little cut and paste to spill, baby, spill. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know how the oily doily is working down there, but uh, Sarah Palin's uh, signature uh, fashion statement should be the oily doily in honor of the uh, catastrophe that continues in the Gulf. This is going to be much, much worse than the uh, Exxon Valdez spill. For a variety of reasons. For a Not variety just of the reasons. volume and the yeah. conditions under which it's spreading. And the technical problems of stopping the leak are just uh, phenomenal. I mean, this is sort of like a... Ten weeks to drill a uh, sort of a release uh, yeah. valve off the backside of it. It's amazing. Um, and uh, who knew that all of this technology was involved in drilling in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. And needless to say, the, the drilling has, has been... Uh, I don't know how old this uh, particular rig and spot is, but... Uh, most uh, oil geologist experts have been noting that the uh, oil drilling in the Gulf of Mexico has been actually going further and further out into the into the Gulf to find the oil. And uh, let's just hope we don't get a uh, a hurricane that comes up that direction that <laughs> literally blows. Well, then, of course, end timers could just blame it on. Why? Well, see, it's just all part of the wonderful wrath of God. Yeah. <clears throat> Rush Limbaugh, of course, has developed his own unique theory about uh, the situation, basically suggesting uh, that it's environmentalists who have done eco-terror. 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 Here's a quote from his uh, ridiculous program. Uh, The carbon tax bill cap and trade was scheduled to be announced on Earth Day. And uh, hardcore environmentalist wackos were looking for ways to oppose uh, Obama's plans for more nuclear and offshore drilling, which, of course... No friend of Obama. He's certainly in favor of those. Uh, Here's the quote. uh, What better way to head off more oil drilling nuclear plants than by blowing up a rig? I'm just I'm just noting the timing here. Uh, It's a fairly ludicrous assertion. We don't need uh, an environmental catastrophe to show us how devastating environmental catastrophes can be. It's already happened. In Valdez, and about uh, a year ago, a very similar spill to this one, uh, in uh, drilling between Timor and Australia. 
Yeah, and I know there was a rather big oil spill a couple of years ago uh, in the sort of French-Spanish fishing area of uh, northern Spain, uh, mm. southwestern uh, <clears throat> France, that caused some devastating problems. Um, obviously, oil spills are nothing new, and, uh, you know, there is a cost for all forms of fossil fuel, and facts are facts. The United States needs the oil uh, regardless, um, but whether this is the way to go, uh, one, one wonders. Um, it's interesting, uh, in, uh, an economic analyst for the New York Times pointed out since the original oil spill back in 1969 that created the ban on offshore oil drilling, mm. with the exception of the Gulf, and let's remember that uh, it's the state of Louisiana that's garnered much of the benefit to the, to the extent that there is a benefit of uh, oil drilling in that area uh, because they've been sort of selling the leases and taking in the royalties, so to speak, sort of like Alaska, and one would think that Palin, being from Alaska, presumably would have had some recollection of the consequences of the Exxon Valdez uh, spill back in 1989, I think. That, of course, was a a tanker, so there was a finite amount of oil that spilled. But uh, uh, the experts point out that they only really were able to sop up about 5% of the total. Right. It's been noted that the amount of oil... Uh that spill doesn't really have as much to do with the degree of uh, devastation. It's the conditions under which it's being dispersed. Yeah. The biggest oil spill ever uh, in the Persian Gulf uh, during the first Iraq war, uh, because of the uh, structure of that uh, waterway, was essentially flushed out and was largely uh, remedied. At, you know, Valdez was just the opposite, a small amount that almost all hit the shore. Yeah, well, hopefully some innovative chef down in New Orleans can come up with a dish. Uh, we won't go that that way, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, Jad Mawad notes that since 1969, the nation's demand for oil has surged, rising more than 35% over the past four decades, while domestic oil production has declined by a third. So the idea that we can somehow drill baby drill to solve our Oil problems is uh, naive. Indeed, we our, our two main uh, oil suppliers uh, abroad are uh, uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere, Canada and Mexico. Oil imports have doubled, and the United States now buys more than 12 million barrels of oil a day from other countries, or about two-thirds of its needs. Well, and of course... Um it's not like the world in general is using any less oil either because oil consumption is growing everywhere. China and India are using more. And actually, just a couple of days ago, Saudi Arabia has announced that it may significantly reduce its ability to export oil because of its own increased consumption. They, of course, uh, sit on some pretty expansive uh, reserves. Uh, but one wonders why this isn't an opportunity, and I see here the Yes Wind Power placards in the uh, edition of the New York Times in front of you, uh, why there isn't more energy uh, that is zeal, enthusiasm, directed towards 
expanding our capabilities with regards to wind power. Mm -hmm. uh, the first U.S. offshore wind farm has been approved. This is something, ironically, that Ted Kennedy was in pretty staunch opposition to because of its location uh, nearby the uh, about five, Yeah, about five miles from the compound. Port compound. Um, but clearly, this is the way to go. And Michigan, of course, has... Uh, serious economic difficulties we should see uh, in places like michigan uh, a movement towards wind power yeah and that of course would and the investment of course is the the problem yeah and it would augment uh, uh, our energy needs obviously all forms of energy uh, production have risks we've seen coal mine disasters recently mm -hmm. that uh, emphasize how dangerous that is in fact mining uh, continues to be the most dangerous uh, occupation in the United States. It's interesting that, of course, the Gulf produces uh, 1.7 uh, million barrels of oil per day, which is about 30% of total domestic production. And I just mentioned that we import two-thirds. So you, mm. you get an idea that even as extensive as these oil rigs are in the Gulf, and uh, this article uh, in Sunday's New York Times notes that uh, there are about 3,500, a thousand of which are manned. And the reason that Rush Limbaugh's theory uh, is fairly ludicrous is obviously <laughs> this was an explosion that killed people on the manned oil rig. Right. Um, manly men, yes. Rush likes them, too. <clears throat> and uh, to give a context of this uh, comparison of the seriousness of this problem, the Exxon Valdez uh, accident, which did occur in 1989, dumped uh, 257,000 barrels of oil. So this spill is far more significant because we have... 5,000 a day now, and it's yeah. ongoing and will be ongoing. Yeah, we have an open spigot here. Yeah. Um, maybe we can take Rush Limbaugh and somehow submerge him down to the bottom of the ocean, and his large mouth can somehow cap. Seal this out. And, you know, uh, we're looking at this from, of course, uh, the point of view of uh, concern yeah. and uh, consternation here. But you know that somewhere a handful of select elite are going, all the precious fluid leaking away, 5,000 barrels wasted. Um, one person who's not looking with bleak, uh, a bleak heart or despair, is uh, U.S. Senator Mary Landrieu mm -hmm. of Louisiana, who uh, has gone on spin control mode. A uh, nice little piece by Carl Grossman in the Counterpunch site. She appeared on television over the uh, weekend uh, announcing uh, that what's important about this sheen of oil is that 97% of it is a rainbow sheen, and that can be skimmed. Oh. That's okay. Um, we should not retreat from offshore drilling. Well, she wasn't really asked any particularly hard questions about why she might be so enthusiastic about continuing uh, in this enterprise, which stands to cost her state untold millions in lost revenue, jobs, environmental damage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but she has received uh, $252,000 in oil contributions during the session of the 110th Congress. Um, in total, she's accepted $574,000 from oil companies uh, over an eight-year period, which makes her one of the highest recipients in Congress of oil money. So that 
is the answer to the question why we're not moving more uh, aggressively towards wind power. It's just cheaper and easier to <laughs> buy people off and go with what's going. Yeah, and it shows, once again, that there are competing um, agendas, you know, even within the Democratic Party. So, because, for instance, Senator Bill Nelson of Florida has been a huge opponent mm. of expanding offshore oil drilling because he realizes that Florida's uh, um, tourism industry, which I think was... Uh, Estimated at about $56 billion a year. I mean, this could devastate the Gulf side of many of those beaches. Pensacola, maybe history. Yeah. So uh, we'll hope for the best. And obviously there are numerous technical problems. The sea has been choppy. The uh, skim baby skim. You know, maybe she can get some of the casino owners from... uh, Biloxi, uh, Mississippi, and New Orleans to do some skimming, since I'm sure they've they're experts at it uh, from their own business. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a catastrophe of major proportion and requires some serious uh, debate. The other problem, of course, is that BP, Amico BP, or whatever the heck they're called these days. Um. You know, they have a finite amount of money. They can't. And to make matters worse, they're a multinational corporation with limited liability. And we've seen how this has uh, impacted America in the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. They, there's a the corporation, uh, which the Supreme Court recently ruled is kind of like a person and entitled to free speech. Well, that's just reinforcing a long-standing sort of unofficial position yeah. along those lines, of course. Yeah. And it, it it has, at the end of the day, now personal liability involved here. Um, so, you know, the assets of BP are, Amico, are limited. They're finite. And, of course, the stock price is plummeting. Yeah. Well, to uh, sort of suggest a... <laughs> farcical alteration of Russia's already farcical theory, maybe BP blew this up themselves because they've noticed perhaps a rebound in Toyota stock after their big, we're so sorry, advertising campaign. People are generally good-natured, I think, uh, by disposition. Uh, So this theory would go, and that therefore that, well, we can get some good publicity for BP if Mm -hmm. we blow up our own rig. Uh, Of course, that's ridiculous, but... uh, Lots of technical problems. Well, anyway, uh, we we did promise that we would discuss uh, with some analysis uh, the British elections this week. Mm. Um, I think the reason that the British elections are important and interesting is that Britain is sort of what America is going to look like maybe in 10 years from now. Um, obviously, the emergence of uh, Nick Clegg in the televised debates... Has thrown a kind of a monkey wrench into the uh, upcoming elections. British politics has been dominated pretty much by Labour and the Conservatives, or also known as the Tories. Labour, uh, way back in the day, were the Whigs. Um, and, of course, Labour has gone through a metamorphosis uh, over the last 20 years. They were a much more hardline, pro-union, uh, pro-socialist slash state um, kind of party after they suffered several defeats to the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, who uh, 
is still her her shadow is is still uh, sort of projected onto this the the whole uh, change that uh, these well, parties are going through. She's very analogous to Ronald Reagan. She's the yeah. Reagan of British politics. She came into power in 79 uh with an interesting famous line that I wanted to quote because uh she defined the aim of her policy. She said e- economics are the method. The object is to change the soul. Uh, of course, she uh, benefited from the Falkland Wars incident in 82 to get reelected. The British system allows the prime minister to call elections mm. when they choose. So at the apex of her popularity, because she was plummeting in the polls like Reagan, she was able to seize on the na- so-called nationalism of uh, the Falkland Wars to keep herself in power uh, for a time further. Blair, of course, changed the Labor Party into a more Thatcherite model. And what is interesting about Britain, as uh, many of the critics and uh, the London Review of Books has had a number of very good articles, uh, basically for the last six months, you might want to check their website, lrb.uk, for some of their election analysis, because I think it's quite interesting. It's put into the historical context of what's going on in Britain as a country, commentators are noting that Britain, which incidentally has twice the debt that Greece has, the difference, and we've heard a lot about the Greek debt yeah. in the last couple of uh, uh, weeks uh, slash months because of the uh, recalcitrance of the German um, government uh, under Merkel to bail Greece out. Mm-hmm. There's some resentment in Germany about the misleading and fishy numbers that the Greek government gave. Yeah, there were misgivings yeah. about Greeks' entry even yeah. into the uh, economic union. And apparently they cooked the numbers to do that. Yep. But it's interesting that uh, under Blair sl- slash Thatcher, because there was a brief uh, period in which Major Major... <laughs> John Major. A very proper Frump- man. Frumpy, uh, sort of a puppet of Margaret yeah. Thatcher's in a way... So, you know, this is, this is a fascinating uh, election because it's come down to these sort of elite leaders of their parties. Uh, the New York Times calls it posh, posher, and poshest. <laughs> and that uh, the debates are a talent show of the damned. <laughs> Which I think is... That's brilliant. <laughs> is a brilliant... And this, of course, is a British uh, media uh, person in The Guardian, a columnist who I'm sure um, doesn't like any of the candidates for right. various reasons. <laughs> and they are, to some extent, a, a talent show of the damned. Um, one analyst in uh, ye- yesterday's uh, New York Times Sunday section, which I thought had a pretty good uh, overall picture of the situation, said, Mr. Cameron the Tory is personable. Your mother would like him, a fresh-faced character uh, who tries and fails with emotionally whining, winning oratory. He always sounds like the coxswain urging the rowing team to pull together and straighten their straw boat. Their straw boats. Nick, Nicholas Clegg, the liberal. And we look in vain, as he puts it, to imagine him going toe-to-toe with leaders like Berlusconi and Netanyahu or even the Queen of Tonga. <laughs> 
And then uh, characterizing Gordon Brown, he says, is a character from a tragic opera, twisted by ambition and a Presbyterian sense of fateful destiny. He has waited 13 years, mostly in Tony Blair's shadow, for the poisoned chalice and has a pessimist, pessimist's luck. He wrestles with an Old Testament temper, and it's said that he has no friends. He's the son of a Scottish clergyman. Yeah. So it's a very... He's doomed from the beginning. It's an interesting uh, comment about these leaders in particular and the British system in general, because the British system mirrors the United States in so many ways. London, of course, became one of the major financial capitals of the world. Still is the gold market. And it creates the LIBOR, uh, two room, two, two dudes in a room somewhere <laughs> right? <laughs> at an undisclosed location <laughs> determine the overnight interest rates that the, uh, the, the, uh, the global banks loan each other money on a daily basis. It's all very scary stuff, and uh, the word of the uh, last uh, year and a half, and a, a year and a half has been opacity. Opaqueness, I thought it was a better way of characterizing, but I guess it turns out to be opacity. But uh, Britain is just fascinating because uh, they're wrestling with their role in the world. And what's interesting about the emergence of Nick, Nicholas uh, Clegg, who may indeed win these, these votes, but probably will have difficulty forming a government, is that he is the the third voice in in the match labor and 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 the conservatives have sort of come to an agreement that britain has a special role to play and that role is to be anti-european union i.e. they maintain their own currency which by the way allows them unlike greece to devalue the pound if needed mm -hmm. to deal with their debt problem and they are also quote atlanticists they are allied with the United States in this sort of hazy, neo-imperialistic role that America sees for itself. Characterized by George Orwell, of course, as Oceania. Yeah. And, of course, we've seen this rear its ugly head in its worst form uh, with the Iraq War, uh, in which Tony Blair f became the lap poodle, or the whatever he was called. That was one of the nicer terms. Yes, for the war. <laughs> and... Uh, Clegg is throwing, you know, cold water on this idea. Yeah. He's basically saying, no, we need to go in a third way. And whether he succeeds with this argument with the voters is unclear. But the fundamental beliefs that the British have really are these nuanced issues about policy and very minor policy disputes. They're essentially in agreement that the you know, the national health care system, for instance, that they have, um, remains in place. In fact, it was interesting when Britain was being attacked uh, by the GOP here in the United States, it was Cameron who came to the defense of NHS, the national, uh, British National Health uh, System. Huh. And, of course, the Brits pay a value-added tax, a surtax of about 17% to finance that system. So on these sort of big issues of Britain, most people in Britain are sort of in agreement about their who they are and you know what, where they're going, but they're a little bit confused about how to get there or who's the best 
captain of the uh, coxswain of of the rowboat. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And elections are later this week. Uh, okay. I think they're Thursday, and uh, there may indeed be a hung parliament. Um, one could almost even see a very bizarre coalition of the conservatives with the Labor Party. In other words, because they have essential agreement on this anti-EU and this Atlanticist alliance, the special role, it's just a matter of degree. Um, six months ago, it looked like Cameron was going to skate into, the, into power, but he's had some problems. Clegg has been one of them. Clegg has taken some of his support away. And, of course, Gordon Brown had this uh, infamous gaffe last week. That yeah. And was, that's also kind of new to British politics, yeah. because the way the campaign is being uh, run in a more American style is yeah. a first for England. A first with these televised debates that actually catapulted uh, Nick Clegg into the lead, supposedly. So it's going to be fascinating to see who finishes third. Well, it is admirable that most European countries have such short yeah. campaign seasons, and of course we've talked about that every election cycle uh, down here on the show, that that's something that America should, that we wish we had. Wish we had. But not likely to happen anytime soon. Um, kind of a bizarre little item here. Uh, sometimes things that, uh, you know... You might even have a couple of nickels in your pocket right now, for example, but uh, you might not have heard that the surge in the value of the raw material, nickel, uh, has increased dramatically in value, and that, uh, lo and behold, the amount, uh, the value of the metal in a five-cent U.S. nickel coin, <clears throat> which also, of course, contains copper, now stands at 6.2 cents. Ah, so it's not all bad news for the American economy. I sort of like sort of like the penny. The metal is worth more than the penny. Right. So so if you save all your nickels and pennies and have it melted down, you <clears throat> you might be able to skim <laughs> a little profit on the margins. You can uh, reconsider that family vacation or perhaps that new addition to the home. After all, if you have just enough nickels. Um, any comments or views uh, from you on the Obama speech uh, at uh, it sounded sort commencement of this sort of week. sounded uneventful. I I didn't go. Um, I didn't hear anything sort of from the news that uh, indicated that it was remarkable. It wasn't like, for instance, uh, Lyndon Johnson unveiling the Great Society uh, here in. Uh, when he spoke at U of M back in the 60s, that was uh, obviously unprecedented. And it's fascinating, by the way, that, that uh, Cameron has made a big, in the British election, just to get back to him briefly, has been, he, he's come up with, and I'm trying to find this uh, rather quickly here, this rather strange phrase that he has. Um, here it is. Uh, in a speech at the uh, in the Commons, Cameron said, some people say that there are no big ideas left in politics, but I don't agree. I think this is about as big as it gets. It's not the big state that's going to tackle our social problems. It's an increase of our well-being, the big society. And we know we have to use the state to help remake our society. 
And the author of this piece, uh, piece um, a uh, certain fellow named uh, Jonathan Rabin, um, in which he, he's reviewing a book um, entitled How the Left and Right Have Broken Britain and How We Can Fix It. In other words, it's probably a bit of a tome. It's written by a fellow named Philip Blonde. He goes into a very interesting analysis of uh, Chesterton's, who was a kind of a famous literary figure uh, from the G.K. Chesterton. Yeah, yeah his Catholic, uh, his uh, League, in which the League stands for the liberty of the individual and the family against interfer- interference by busybodies, monopolies, or the state. Personal liberty will be restored mainly by the better distribution of property i.e. ownership of land, houses, workshops, etc. The better distribution of property will be achieved by protecting and facilitating the ownership of individual enterprises in the land. The League fights for small shops and shopkeepers against multi-shops and trusts, individual craftsmen and cooperation in industrial enterprises. Every worker should own a share in the assets and, and control the business in which he works. The small holder and the yeoman farmer. And it's a sort of a nostalgic return to the mm-hmm. old days before Britain became this um, society that was dominated by m- 